Hey guys, Eric Lindine here. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. All right, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Epaphrites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you that you are here in this place. And we just pray, Holy Spirit, let you be active and moving right in this place. And uh, step in my body, speak through my mind and these words so that everyone here who's in this place and is watching online would just receive from you the word that they need to receive. Thank you, God, for your love and grace. In your name we pray. Amen. You can take a seat. Leaving and then returning is a part of the just everyday normal rhythms of life. Leaving and then returning. I was 18 years old when I left the house for the first time for college at North Central University, moved into the dorms, and this was an all-new experience for me. I grew up with just sisters, so now living on a floor with like 30 guys was a brand-new experience, and I was excited for this because I love camp and all this stuff. And what I discovered was that boys are stinky. Does anyone else know that? I didn't have brothers, so I did not know this. And boys are really, really messy. So I lasted about a year and a half in the dorms, and then I moved back home. And, and so then I lived at home for a little while in college, and then got an apartment and, and left home again for an apartment. And, and life was good, and I had a couple different roommates in college and doing that whole thing. Then I started dating Kristen, who's now my wife, and, and then we get engaged, and it's like, oh boy, like living in an apartment is very expensive. Like I gotta save up for this wedding and future life together. So then I moved back home again uh, and to save up some money. Then we get married. And, and, and it's great. And then we moved to Colorado and we leave the whole state of Minnesota where I grew up on. And we were there for six, seven years in Colorado. And life was great in Colorado. But oddly enough, I actually missed the Midwest. So we moved back to Minnesota by way of Wisconsin. And after 10 years of being away, we came home. Often for many of us, that's a similar story. Sometimes maybe you will leave your parents' house, then come back. Or you'll leave a city you grew up in, or you'll come back. Or maybe you leave a relationship, then you come back. I think there's many people, too, who maybe grew up, maybe you grew up going to the church. Maybe you went to Sunday school with your grandma. You went to maybe the Lutheran church down the road. But then you hit 17, you hit 21, you hit 25, and something caused you to leave that church and maybe even leave God behind. What we're going to see in the book of Ruth is that this is just a common experience for so many people of leaving and then coming back home. And my hope is that through this series that you will see that no matter how many times you've left, no matter how long it's been since you've left, God is welcoming you back home. That is the hope and goal for this series. Going away, though, it changes people. And then returning, you might find that things have changed 
too. I grew up here in Maple Grove and had so many friends. Uh, the way I grew up, man, I, I had friends we'd hang out like multiple nights of the week and all stuff was going on. And, and I underestimated how hard that was to leave that community when we moved to Colorado. All of a sudden, I didn't know anyone and had no friendship circles, and it was hard. Well, then finally, after 10 years, we moved back to Minnesota. And I was like, yeah, this is going to be great. I'll just slip back into those friendship circles and those relationships. Well, things had changed while I was gone. My close friends, well, I still connect maybe once or once a year, maybe, but they had their own circles and they had their own rhythms of life. And so moving back here had to develop new friendships and, and new rhythms. And many of you know that, like maybe you've moved from somewhere to Minnesota. It's a great place, but it can be hard to break into those friendship circles that have been going on for a while. And we're going to see that this is the story of Naomi, that she grew up in a town. She left for 10 years and comes back and Things have changed, and she has changed. Coming back home may mean facing hardships you didn't expect to face. And the first chapter of Ruth is like that. It's going away and coming back story in which both the leaving and the returning are both painful. And the first thing I want you to know this morning, if you're taking notes, and hopefully you got one of those note sheets, or you can write this down, take notes in your phone. If you're watching online, just grab a notebook or something to write this down, is that your life happens in context. Your life happens in context. Every one of us has a story that we are currently living. Something that happened to us in our past, uh, of the people that raised us, the friendships around us. You weren't just dropped into this place in this moment, kind of fully formed. Your, your story has some kind of context. And it's good to acknowledge that. That there has been a story that has led you to this place. And your experiences and the people that were around you had an impact on you. And so let's dive into the context of the book of Ruth. Well, the book of Ruth takes place in the time of the judges. This is when there's no king of Israel. It's kind of the wild, wild west. If you kind of put it in context, Abraham, uh, Father Abraham, uh, had, lived about 2,000 years before Jesus. And then Moses, who freed the people of Israel from the Egyptians, that was around 1400 uh, B.C., and King David around 1000 B.C., and the time of the judges was really about that 1400 BC, lasts about 400 years to about 1000 BC. That's kind of where we're at. This is kind of towards the end of the time of the judges. So it takes place really between the time of Moses and King David. If, if you're familiar with the Bible, maybe you know those figures, uh, maybe even from Sunday school, just you know, Moses, the Red Sea parts it, leads the people of Israel out. There's about 400 years where they just have different judges and leaders, but no king before then King David is going to show up who kills Goliath and and rules the nation of Israel. That's when our story takes place. As for setting, we're going to the little town of Bethlehem. We just came out of Christmas, and we, we sing about a little town of Bethlehem, and that's where our story takes place. Bethlehem literally means house of bread. And who else was born in Bethlehem? Around Christmas time, we sing about him? This is like the easy churchy answer. Shout it out. Jesus! Yeah, 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 yeah. There's, there's the easy answer. Jesus was also born in Bethlehem which means the bread of life, Jesus, was born in the house of bread. I think that's really cool. Do you know that? The bread of life is from the house of bread. We meet this man named Elimelech, and his name means our God is king. He's married to a wonderful woman named Naomi, and her name means pleasant or lovely. Together they have two kids. So we have my God is king married to a lovely woman with two kids, you know, a dog, a mortgage. It's like the perfect family, right? That, that, that's their story. But we find out there's a famine. We've talked about this over the last six years. Sometimes we land in the promised land, and sometimes the promised land becomes a famine land. 
Doesn't mean you're not supposed to be there. But sometimes circumstances happen that we don't expect. Times of dryness, times where we feel like we're not being fed. This happens all the time. And oftentimes, then people leave where they're supposed to be because they encounter a famine. And that's what's going on here. And there's no bread in the house of bread. So Elimelech decides to emigrate from Bethlehem to the neighboring country of Moab with his wife and kids. Ruth 1, verse 1. They went into, verse 2, they went into the country of Moab and remained there. Moab is like the modern-day Jordan. It's next door to Bethlehem in Judah. It's to the east and south of Bethlehem, across the River Jordan, on the other side of the Dead Sea. So Elimelech leads his wife and his two kids from the nation of, of Judah across the Jordan River to Moab, to a, a neighboring foreign country. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. So tragically, Elimelech dies not long after they move from Bethlehem to Moab. And those years as a single mom for Naomi in a foreign country, I can only imagine how hard they were. She didn't know anyone. She didn't have that support system. She didn't have the grandparents there beside her. But she's raising her two kids. And, and eventually, her two sons meet these nice Moabite girls, and they get married. And she's happy. And Naomi's like, okay, I lost my husband, but I've got my two sons, and now I've got two daughter-in-laws, and I can't wait to be a grandma and, and, and pour into these grandkids. And so she's excited for that, even though she's missing her husband. But tragically, both her son's marriages are, are marked by infertility. And they're married for 10 years, but no children. And then things go from bad to worse. First, one son dies. And she buries her son, and the brother buries his brother. And then tragically, the second son dies. Now, Naomi, she's lost her husband. She's lost her two sons. And as a widow, she's now left with no men in her life. And in this context of a very strong patriarchal society, she really lacks the provision and protection of a husband in a male-dominated ancient Near East. She doesn't have grandkids to take care of her. She doesn't have sons to take care of her. She's very vulnerable. She's very empty now. And really, what future does Naomi have? Can she recover from this? Can her emptiness be filled? And that's where our story takes place. Verse 6. Then Naomi arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Naomi's crushed. She's empty. She's bitter. She's grieving. But she hears good news. She hears gospel. Gospel means good news. That God had visited his people. And there's now bread again in the house of bread. But notice how Naomi thinks of this. God has visited his people. I think in Naomi's mind, she's not only left Bethlehem, but she's left her people and she's left her God. And now she doesn't count herself as part of God's people. Naomi at this moment reminds me of that famous story of the prodigal son in Jesus' teaching the son who leaves home and is far away, is hungry, is, is alone, is in search of love and food and, and community. And that's where Naomi is at. And she hears this good news. She hears this gospel that God has brought bread to the house of bread in Bethlehem. And, and she's like, okay, it's time to go back home. It's time to return to where I came from. Verse 7. So she set out from that place where she was with her two daughter-in-laws. 
and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. She's saying, hey, I, I'm going to go home, but you know what? Your prospects aren't great here. Why don't you guys stay behind while I go alone back to Judah? And she kisses them and blesses them and kind of sends them back. Second thing I want you to write down if you're taking notes is, bless as you say goodbye. Bless as you say goodbye. We all come to times where relationships, jobs, communities, they kind of have a life cycle where we realize, you know what, it's time for us to leave, whether it's to move away or just move on to something different. And I love what Naomi here is showing is she's not railing at her daughter-in-laws. She's not angry at them. She's blessing them and sending them back. She's leaving well. My challenge to you is that whenever it's time for you to leave, that job, that relationship, that church, whatever it might be, to leave well, bless on your way out. People are going to remember how you arrive and how you leave. Not so much the stuff in between. So just write that down. Remember that to bless as you say goodbye, to not burn bridges, to not curse out your boss when you leave that job or when you leave that friendship, whatever it might be. That's the way of Jesus is, is to bless as you say goodbye. And so Naomi tells her two daughter-in-laws to go back to the parents' house because even though they might find some men in the little town of Bethlehem, the fact that they're foreigners, the fact that they're not virgins but widows, they're not going to be highly desirable women to marry, sadly. And so their marriage prospects are probably going to be better if they stay back in Moab, where at least they're not foreigners. Verse 10, And the two daughters said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and bear his sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. This is kind of weird. This goes back to an Old Testament custom. Basically, if a husband died and and left uh, his wife childless, that the next younger son was supposed to marry his older brother's widow, and then the first child that you had with her actually belonged to your older brother. And so she's saying, I don't have any more children in me, and if I did, like, you couldn't wait till they grew up so they could marry you. Uh, it's kind of an odd custom. But think about that, though. Like, I thought of that as a younger brother. I don't have older brothers, but I have older sister. But, like, if you have older brothers, like, how much more would you, like, want them to marry the right girl? Because <laughs> you're like, if you die, brother, like, I might end up with that, <laughs> that woman... Or, or, like, if they marry someone you really don't like, you're going to, like, do everything possible to keep your older brother alive, right? Because you're like, I do not want anything to do with this. So that's kind of this odd custom. But really the point was, not just to be weird, but to look after that older uh, widow so that she would be taken care of, that she could have children to then live on to their names. That's what really what it's talking about. But she says here, it's exceedingly bitter to me that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Naomi's in this place where she is bitter. She's empty. She's grieving. She's sad. And some of you have been there. Maybe you're there today. Like, life has not turned out the way I thought it would. 
and you're filled maybe with bitterness. She's broken. Everything has gone wrong. All her dreams have died at the death of her husband and the death of her two sons, and she doesn't even have the gift of grandchildren to comfort her. Verse 14. They lift up their voices and wept again, and Orpah, one of the sister-in-laws, kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And Naomi said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. So Orpah kisses her mother-in-law, and she goes. And that's not the bad thing, but she just says, you know what? I'm going to go back to my mom's house, and and I'm going to have better prospects there. And she says goodbye. But Ruth, but Ruth swears her commitment to Naomi in the name of Israel's God, acknowledging Naomi's God as her God. And this is a very famous passage here that's sometimes read at weddings. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more. Also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw this, she was determined to go with her. She said, no more. It's not like Naomi's given her the silent treatment, but she's like, okay, I can't convince you, Ruth. You're going to come with me together. Honestly, Ruth's faith defies human logic and wisdom. It's really easy to underestimate how unlikely her response was in this ancient context, a a context where women typically sought fulfillment through marriage and childbirth. Instead, Ruth is saying, I'm going to stay with you, Naomi. I'm going to leave my home country. I'm going to leave everything I know. I'm going to go with you back to Bethlehem with Naomi and to make Naomi's people her people, to make Naomi's God her God. And Ruth's willingness to abandon everything for Naomi and to pledge herself for life to Naomi's God and people is a testament not only to Ruth's character, but also to Naomi's character. Clearly, Naomi was a great mother-in-law. I mean, just honestly, she had high character that Ruth and Orpah, even when the sons died and the thing that connected them to their mother-in-law, they still wanted to stay with her. And Orpah leaves, but Ruth still is clinging to Naomi. No, no, I don't want to leave you. Be the kind of woman like Naomi that people want to be around. Be the kind of mother-in-law, honestly, that even if your sons should die, that the daughter-in-law say, hey, I'm sticking with you through whatever may come. And talk about a step of faith for Ruth. She's going to leave everything behind. She's lost her husband. She's lost her father-in-law. But she's saying, Naomi, I'm going to go with you. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. The third thing I want you to write down this morning is that intimacy only resides in the safety of commitment. Intimacy only resides in the safety of commitment. And this really can apply in a number of ways. You will never be fully known and known by others until you commit to friendship, to relationship with that person. The truth is, you can, you can Google it. Psychologists talk about intimacy and commitment that without some kind of formal commitment like marriage, in relationships, you will never be fully known. you never experience that full intimacy without the strength of that commitment to say, hey, I am forsaking all others to spend the rest of my life with you. The same is true with friendships. That when you say, hey, I am committed to you, and I know that you are committed to me. There is an intimacy that you will not have by just a casual acquaintance. To give 
To gain intimacy, you must give up autonomy. To gain intimacy, you must give up some autonomy. You have to say, I am now a part of this marriage. I'm a part of this church, this small group, this friendship, which means now there are times I have to lay down my own desires, my own preferences, because now I'm in a friendship. I'm in a relationship. I'm in a marriage. I'm in a church body. And, but what you lose, you gain so much more into that intimacy and that connection. I was thinking about this week of, there are people in this church, I love you all, but there are people, honestly, that I'm closer with than others. And that's just the truth of life. And perhaps someone would ask, Eric, why are you so close with Matt, who's up here leading worship, and Josh Olson? Some of my closest friends. Because there's a commitment there. When Matt and Josh look at me and say, I'm with you to the bitter end. And if the church should go away, you're still my brother. You're still my friend. When someone speaks that to you, there's an intimacy there because a commitment has been made. And they know it goes from me to them as well. There's an intimacy between Kristen and I because we've said we forsake all others for each other in that commitment. Intimacy can only be found in the safety of commitment. So Ruth now is saying this commitment to Naomi. Hey, I am pledging myself to you. I am with you to the bitter end. Nothing but death will separate us together. This is not a sexual relationship. This is true friendship and love and commitment. So Naomi and Ruth make the dangerous journey back as two single women from Moab to Bethlehem. And I picture them like kind of storm-battered ships kind of limping into harbor after a storm as they arrive in Bethlehem, and neither one are in great shape after a long journey. Ruth is a complete stranger. She's never been to Bethlehem in her life, and Naomi, while still herself, is not herself. She's not the Naomi who went away with my God as king and her two kids. She looks like Naomi, but she's not herself, and she knows it. Verse 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? It looks like her, but where's her husband? Where's her children? Where's her grandchildren we thought she'd have as she left 10 years ago? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Naomi says, I'm not that woman who's lovely and pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. And Naomi comes home full of bitter memories of how life used to be when she lived in Bethlehem with her husband and her two kids. She goes on to say, why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Naomi's perception at this point is so distorted by pain that she can see nothing good in her situation. 
He says, I'm empty, I have nothing. And I just kind of picture as Naomi confronts these women who are like, what that happened? Where's your, where's your husband? Where's your kids? And she's like, I have nothing. And I just picture poor Ruth, maybe standing by her, and she's like, what do you mean nothing? What do you mean empty? Like, you can't even see me. But sometimes bitterness does that. We can't see the good around us because all we're focused on is what we've lost. That's where Naomi's at. She can't even acknowledge Ruth. She arrives back in Bethlehem, a bitter woman with a poor view of God and very low expectations, but she's in for a surprise. See, little did she know what God had planned for her. And the rest of the book seems about Naomi discovering or rediscovering God as her redeemer and being overwhelmed by his rich generosity towards her. We don't believe that God causes pain and death and suffering. I don't believe that God struck down Naomi's husband or sons. But God is with us in the pain. And he's saying, hey, I'm going to work this out for good, for your good and my glory. That's what we're going to see in the rest of this book. Naomi came back bitter. (coughs) She came back empty. But here's the important thing. She came back. And it was good news, this gospel that had called her home, this good news that there was bread in the house of bread. And Naomi's about to discover, just like all of us who come home to God, that those of us who journey back to God will never be rejected. This is the story of the whole Bible. It's the story of the human race going away from God and his great plan of salvation to bring us back again. See, good news brought Naomi and Ruth to Bethlehem. At the center of God's plan is our Lord Jesus Christ who calls us back to something else God has done in Bethlehem. Not just for those who used to live in Bethlehem, but for all of us, for the foreigners, for the single moms, for the widows, for the infertile, for the outsiders, for the broken, for everyone who is far from God. See, Naomi heard the good news that there was bread again in Bethlehem, but there is an infinitely greater gospel than the one that Naomi heard and turned her thoughts to home. Something greater than bread. It's the invitation to all of us to come home. Come home to the God who made you. Come home to the God who loves you and is the only one who can fill your emptiness and your deepest desires. Come back empty. Come back with the smallest of expectations. Come back bitter if you have to, but come back to God. Come back to church. Come back to the one who loves you so, so much. That is the story of Naomi and Ruth. Although she's bitter, although she's empty, although she has no expectations, although her view of God is distorted in her whole world and she's grieving and suffering, she came back home. And God is with her. Perhaps that's your story. Maybe you've been gone from church for a while. Maybe you walked away from God and you just have some, you're a little upset at him. God's saying, come back. It's okay. He's saying, I can take your bitterness. I can take your anger. I can take your grief. Maybe just busyness have kept you from the connection with your father that you know he longs for you to have. And he's saying, come back. It's okay. God doesn't care how dusty your Bible is. He doesn't care how long it's been since you've gotten on your knees in prayer. He says, come back. Come back home. 
come back home. All of us are welcome. Whether it's been a day or 20 years or more, you're all welcomed back home. Imagine if we could be the kind of community, if we could be the kind of people that had that same arms open wide. Hey, hey, come back. In spite of your bitterness and pain and brokenness, you know, we're, we're just going to sit and weep with you. We're going to say, hey, you're not alone in that. One of the things I love about our community is that over the years, but numerous people in leadership confess, hey, I'm broken. Hey, I'm an addict. Whether it's a sexual addiction, an addiction to alcohol, workaholism, whatever it might be. And you know what we say? We don't say, hey, that's no big deal. Hey, that's, that's a big deal. But you know what? God's grace can cover that. Are you getting help? Have you moved in repentance? <clears throat> we talk about this, how repentance is you're walking in one direction, teshuva, you realize you've gotten off the path that God wants you on, and then you have to turn back and go to God. <clears throat> so all of us are welcome now to come. Whether you've been broken, whatever mistakes you've made, you are not a mistake. God loves you and welcomes you home. I'm going to invite the band to come on up as we're going to close in prayer and worship this morning. I want to invite you to just close your eyes. <clears throat> we're going to close in prayer here. <clears throat> God, thank you for this story that took, takes place 3,000 years ago, but it's so relevant for our world today. <clears throat> A story of brokenness and loss and leaving and coming home and grief and emptiness and just all the emotions that we feel in this world so God thank you for this story and, and how we're going to see that in the midst of pain you are still working and you're causing things to work out for our good and for your glory and that you are the potter you are the artist so God I just want to say we put our hands, we put our lives into your hands, God. And now, God, I just want to pray for all those in the room, <coughs> excuse me, who maybe feel like they've left, they've walked away from you, they've walked away from church, they've walked away from just following you. But they would know they could just come home. That your arms are open wide, and you are a father who just wants to wrap us up in your arms. God, thank you for what you're doing in this story in Bethlehem, but also what you did 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem by sending your own son, Jesus, to be born and then to live the life we could not live, to show us the way to go to the cross, to die and then rise again. So we thank you for that. If there's anyone here this morning or online and, and, and you're just feeling that, that tug to come back home to God and maybe you just need to take that step to follow him, maybe for the first time or just come back to him. <coughs> just pray this simple prayer. The, Jesus, I give you my life. 
Jesus, I give you my life. And it's not the whole conversation you have to have with God, but it's the start of a conversation between you and him, of stepping towards him, of making him the leader of your life, of turning from your life of sin and going the way you know you shouldn't go and stepping back home with God. And God, I also want to pray for those who maybe just haven't left you entirely, but they know they're not as close with you as they want to be. And something has gotten in the way. So God, I pray right now, as we just, as we pause and just take a moment to just reflect on our lives, God, reveal to our minds and our hearts if there's something that we need to just change or let go of or do something that is keeping us from coming home to you and being with you. <clears throat> God, I just pray that we would, we would know that you have eyes of love and not judgment or condemnation and, and you're just welcoming us home and that we would step into those arms of grace right now. That as we leave this morning, we would know we are loved by you, that we are known by you, that we don't have to live bitter or empty, but we can be full of grace and truth and love and light. So fill us now. Let us experience your love and grace this whole week. Let that spill out over us to be the kind of community that shows love and grace and acceptance. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to go out for singing. This has been kind of our theme song for the last year. Coming from John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. God so loved you and me. He so loved you that he gave what was most precious of all, his only son, that everyone who believes in him would have everlasting life. And you know that's the truth. That all are welcomed put our faith and trust in Jesus and experience that everlasting life that can start here and now. Let's go out of here singing. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Maple Grove podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic Maple Grove. Your generosity allows this message to go out into the world. You can be a part of the Mosaic Tribe by going to mymosaicchurch.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Grace and peace, my friends.